Good morning, friends. We're in Isaiah chapter 6, and that would be page 571 in your Bible or whatever on your app. Just get there because it'll be way more fun if you're following along. So a lot of times preachers just go blah, 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 blah. And you leave and everybody kind of nods and get in the car and say, what did a man preach on? I, I have no idea. So I want to tell you what we're going to preach on. Then we're going to preach on it and we're going to tell you again and maybe you'll remember. God qualifies those who are unqualified to serve him for his glory. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I know I should share my faith with my neighbors and my family or whatever, whatever, but something stops me. I feel like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And so I let my sense of inadequacies and maybe really being inadequate prevent me from sharing the hope that lies within me. Now, I want to give you a little visual. Look at all those leaves out there. Aren't they pretty out there? Now, this is a large factoid. It may not be true, but I figure our total number of friends and family that all of us have here is about equal to all those leaves. That's a lot of friends and family. Now, what do we know about all the non-evergreen trees we see out there? Most of those trees are, are, uh, is it deciduous? Is that right? Deciduous? Okay, what happens to deciduous leaves long about November? They die and fall. And so we're going to look out here in November, and you'll see a few evergreens, but all those pretty green leaves, they're going to fall to their death. Now imagine if those are people. And we actually know the way that they would not have to die, but could actually bring them to a place where they'd have everlasting life, that they'd have hope and have purpose. But we didn't do anything about it. Well, here in Isaiah, what we're going to find is a God who only has to choose from imperfect people, but he does, he chooses them, and then he, he takes away their sin and their guilt, and he gives them all that they need to do the things he's called them to do. So let's go look in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, maybe you're like me, and, and, and you've read the Old Testament a little bit, and there's this king, and there's that king, and there's another king, and this king was a good king, and most of them are bad kings. And you can't remember all their names. What do you know about King Uzziah? Not much. Not much. He was one of the good guys. He started serving, I think when he was like very young, like 16 years old. He served 52 years. To give you a visual, think of some of the older people in Congress. He served as long as they have. And I have to say, for about the first 50 years, he was a good king. He, he had a heart for God. He, uh, he, was, he was faithful in being the king over Judah. In fact, he even invented some cool weapons, like weapons that would shoot crossbow arrows and like flick big boulders against the enemies. And he, he did good things for his people. And the people loved him. But as often is the case, when somebody lifts you up, like when people lift you up, it's very easy to get what in your heart? Prideful. And so we see this man who for most of his life was such a godly man. But then at the very end of his life, he gets filled with pride and he goes into the temple and he starts taking on a role that's not his. You know, the separation of church and state, of king and priest. 
And he takes upon himself acting as if he's a priest, where he's going to put incense on the altar. And God said, no, that's not your job. And the priest actually uh, confronted Isaiah, or sorry, um, Uzziah. He confronted him. And because of his pride and because he did what he knew he shouldn't do, the Lord actually judged him. Can you imagine that our God is not only a loving father, but he's also a God that's holy and righteous, and he will judge unrighteousness. And so King Uzziah was um, stricken with leprosy, which means he immediately had to leave the temple and could never go back there. And he had to live apart, even outside his own temple or his own courts. He couldn't even dwell amongst his people. He was a leper, and then in very short order, he died. So in, in the Israel, I mean, sorry, Judah, who was very strong and had a great king, all of a sudden their king was struck with leprosy because of his sin. He died, and all the enemies of Judah were surrounding them. And so it was a time not unlike this time in our country. Whatever administration you love, great, good for you. The last two, I don't believe, have done a very good job. They really haven't. And then there's COVID, and then there's, oh, did you see the stock market this week? Whoo, so many things we could go, Lord, this is hard. I don't like life the way it is right now. And so we're giving way to fear. And it was the same with Judah. Their king is dead. He'd been judged. The enemies are rising up. But then what does, um, what does Isaiah see when he goes into the presence of the Lord? What does he see? He says, I saw the Lord on a throne. What does the Bible say? High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And friends, this is so important because maybe you're like me and you're thinking like, Lord, if I, were, if I were God, I wouldn't let all this stuff happen. I wouldn't let Ukraine happen. I wouldn't let abortion happen. I wouldn't let child abuse, child abuse happen. I wouldn't let human trafficking happen. And I know the Lord is grieved on these things, but we're tempted to think that God is off asleep somewhere, that he's, that he's gone off duty and yet what Isaiah sees in a similar time is that God is not off duty. He's still very much on his throne. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he is working all things to his good. His wheels turn exceedingly slow, but exceedingly fine. And so Isaiah is reminded that God is, God is strong. He is king. He is sovereign. And he is up to the task. Fear not. Fear not. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Look at verse 2. He says, And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, uh, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now, first of all, what is a seraphim? Because y'all are smart people. What's a seraphim? A freaky looking angel thing. How many times in the Bible is the word seraphim used? All in this chapter, it's the only time, right here, right here. But these were particular types of angels, and they kind of wig me out. It kind of looks like a human uh, grasshopper thing. For those of you who are really smart and have read things like Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis, where a man wakes up and he's a six-foot cockroach. Ugh. These seraphim, they were creepy looking. They had six wings. What's interesting is they used two to fly. That makes sense. 
But the other sets of wings, what do they do? What about the feet? Covered them up. What about the eyes? It's kind of hard when you're flying in midair to have your eyes covered. But why did, he, why did the seraphim cover their eyes? Because in Exodus, God said, no one can look at me and live. And that's why when God passes over, they're always hidden in the cleft of the rock. Because God is so holy. He would burn a hole right through our eyeballs and right through our brain. Just the power of his presence. And so Isaiah uh, died. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. The seraphim are flying around covered with their eyes, but, they, but they're singing something. Singing. They're singing, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, guys, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of those words. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is good. He is righteous. He is pure. He's all that we want the world to be. It's interesting that they say, instead of just saying, why don't they just say, holy Lord of hosts? Why do they got to say it three times? Calvin says, to quote John Calvin, John Calvin says the reason it's repeated three times is because God is one, but God is also three. Holy, holy, holy Lord. And not only is God holy, but it says his glory fills the whole earth. In spite of what you may be seeing or feeling, God's glory fills the entire earth. When's the last time that you've actually experienced the holy presence of the Lord? See, I think as a guy that was in church zero to 20 and never experienced the holiness of the Lord, I think a lot of times we experience religion, liturgy, duties, but we often don't experience that intimate place with the Lord. And the reason that we don't is because we don't show up to be with him. And the reason we don't show up to be with him is that really we're afraid that he'll reveal that we are unclean sinners, fall short of the mark. Holy, holy, holy. Have you ever experienced the presence of the Lord that you knew it? Like not let's work something up. Like have you experienced the holy presence of the Lord? It's healing. It's healing. Look at verse four. It says, as the seraphim are crying, holy, holy, holy. It says, and the foundations of the threshold of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Curious, how many of you guys have ever been to a Virginia Tech game? I'm not saying that you're not a UVA fan or a Navy fan or some Wake Forest fan or what, whatever. Have you ever been to Tech? Like I hear other teams hate to play Virginia Tech at home because it's so loud there. They've said that the stadium was actually built to intimidate the other teams. And, you know, right as the game's starting, while the football players are behind the stone, they're all hitting the stone, the hokey stone with their hand, something's playing in the stadium. What is it? Inner Sandman, right? And all of a sudden, when that thing starts cranking up, what are all the young people of Virginia Tech start doing? And some of the old guys like me, what do we start doing? Start jumping up and down, jumping up and down, and the whole stadium begins to shake. Friends, I tell you, there's something more powerful than inner Sandman going on here. When the holiness of God is there, it says the foundation shook, even at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. 
That's awesome. God is, God is strong. He's king. He's Lord. He's seated. And holy, holy, holy is his name. And yet, like Isaiah, how many of us could say, when we come into the presence of the Lord, when we see his holiness, we're very aware that we are not. We are not holy. We are not worthy. Who do we think we are that we could go tell somebody else about God? And so most of us don't do it. Lawrence's are suckers for gadgets. When I say Lawrence's, I mean me, not a gnat. About 25 years ago, when our kids were little, some traveling salesman came to our house and he was going to sell us this fancy uh, vacuum cleaner. And uh, I won't tell you how much it cost, but I did look it up in today's dollars, and it's, today it's $2,600 for a vacuum cleaner. Like if I had known that, I would never have let the man in my house. So the guy comes in there and he goes, hey, uh, Mrs. Lawrence, why don't you vacuum the rug in your, your great room? So she did. She vacuumed it. It looked so crisp and nice. So then the man, he pulls out a special light. I don't know what kind of light it was, but it worked on us. That's all I can tell you. Pulled out this light and, um, after Annette had vacuumed, and he had some kind of stick. And with that light shining at the rug, he beats the rug and up comes about 10 billion, 10 billion particles. I'm like, oh my gosh. He said, well, your vacuum doesn't do too well, does it? Good thing he had a Thermax, also like a rainbow. It's kind of vacuum cleaner that you very expensively suck dirt through water through a HEPA filter. And the guy comes with his light again. And he says, Ms. Lawrence, why don't you take the stick this time? And, and um, after I vacuum, I want you to hit the rug. So he, he took his famous water vacuum cleaner Thermax thing and he, he vacuumed the same rug Annette had and then Annette hit it, bam, with the stick, the lights on it and guess what wasn't in the air? There was no particles, there was no dirt, there was no dust, it was all trapped in that very expensive Thermax vacuum cleaner. And I'm like, honey, there's no way in God's green earth I'm gonna spend that much for a vacuum. We could buy five vacuums for that. And then the, the Thermax guy goes, but think of your children. Think of the air they're breathing. <laughs> Friends, see, it wasn't until the light was shown on that carpet that we realized what a terrible vacuum cleaner we had. I think it's not dissimilar with Isaiah. That's a stretch, isn't it? It's not, it's not dissimilar. He goes into, into the bright light of the holiness of God. And he might have thought, you oh, know, I'm a pretty good guy. I love, I love the Lord. Love the Lord. And yet, when he gets in the bright light of the holiness of God, there's no bragging. There's no puffing up. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people who have unclean lips. You know, what's interesting is that was his response to the holiness of God. God never said, you're wrong. No, God, that was the truth. What Isaiah said was true. Woe is him. He's ruined. He's a man of unclean lips, and he dwells in the midst of people of unclean lips. So rather than saying it's not true, or rather than scolding him, the Lord acts. It's actually gospel. This is the, this is the gospel in this story. So the Lord knew that I, Isaiah was ruined and so he, he entered in and did something. And so the seraphim fly to the altar of God. And what do they do? Let's look in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim 
flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of, of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, maybe you're like Isaiah. Maybe in your heart you want to be used by God. But you've been saying that for 40 years. Right? Satan just lies to you and disqualifies you so you stay in your cage. But what God does is says, basically, Isaiah, I know who you are. And I'm going to use you anyway. Like the Corinthians, not many of you are of noble birth or of this or that. Not many of you are scholars. Not many of you, but I'm going to use you anyway. My, my, in weakness, my, my strength is shown. This is an interesting thing. He touches his lips. Why does he touch his lips with a coal? Why does he touch his lips with a coal? That would be a weird thing to do. Because what had he just said? What was me? I'm a man of unclean lips. If you've been at the church a while, you might remember I had like a little black spot on my lip. And there's the kind of things you don't go around, hey, you got a black spot on your lip. But little children go, why you got that black spot on your lip? <laughs> and after like, you know, 20 years of having this sun-damaged black thing on my lip, it was kind of embarrassing. I'm like, I don't want to spend the money, but I'm going to go to a plastic surgeon to get him to burn it off or cut it off or whatever he has to do. So I go in to see this really nice man who's a doctor. He's a plastic surgeon. And then the first thing he pulls out is this inordinately long needle. And it apparently had some very cruel um, solution inside that burns the heck out of your lip. And he comes walking towards me with this long hypodermic needle. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, well, I gotta numb your lip. And I'm like, okay. And I said, is it gonna hurt? That's a real smart question. Is it gonna hurt? Oh, yes, it is gonna hurt. I appreciate his honesty. He came and he stuck that sucker in my lip. And I tell you what, it was like giving, giving birth to children. It was that bad. <laughs> but wait, it gets worse. It gets worse. So he, he, he poked the thing in my lip, and I'm screaming. I'm screaming like a small child. And the nurse is like, Shh, you're going to scare the children down the hall. <laughs> so then, this is true. The doctor had this device on the wall. I don't know who made it, but it was a sadistic person. This thing had enough power in it to kill a cow. It, was, it, it, it heated this metal thing up to like 5,000 degrees. And so I see the doctor reaching for this electrical thing, that, and I'm like, what, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm, I'm going to take care of your lip, and it, your lip's numb. I'm like, okay. And so he comes toward me with this burning hot thing, and he sticks it on my lip. And, buddy, it was there about a nanosecond, and I jumped off the table because I was not numb. Yeah. And I screamed, terrible screams. Aren't you glad that when God makes us holy and addresses us at our point of sin, he doesn't like put us through that kind of torture? So he took the tongs, the, 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 the coal from the altar of God, and he met Isaiah at his point of unworthiness. He says, your guilt is taken away, your sins atoned for. I'm going to say the same thing to you. If you're a believer, your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. You're never going to be smart enough or bright enough or worthy enough or clever enough. But you bring who you are. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Maybe you're like the blind man. Say, I don't know much, but what I do know is Jesus, this man. 
I once was blind, but now I see. See, I don't think we actually need to argue people to Christ. We just need to bear witness. Share what is true, what you know to be true in your life. And so God did this for Isaiah. And then let's see the result of it. Look in verse 8 and 9, then we're done. He says, I, I, I heard the voice of the Lord. And, and the voice of the Lord said this, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You get that? That's clever, isn't it? Whom shall I send? That's singular. But who shall go for us is plural. Do you see how the Trinity's hidden in the scriptures? Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. But we know from scripture that God is father. That's easy. God is son, Jesus. He's the great I am. And God's the Holy Spirit. You can read about Ananias and Sapphira. It's clear, clear as clear can be there. And so God is one, but God is three. And it says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I think God's still asking that question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I wonder, like, what would Roanoke be like if Church of the Holy Spirit never existed? What would our city be like? What would our friends in Rwanda be like? What would our friends in Nigeria be like? What would our friends in the Philippines be like? What would our friends in China and Vietnam and all these places the Lord has sent us as a church? What if we were not that light on a hill? But what happens is once, once Isaiah sees that God has taken away his guilt and his shame and his unworthiness, when God asks the question, whom shall I send? Isaiah goes, me! The one who before ducked his head and said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm ruined. Now after God acts in his life, he says, here I am, send me, send me. I love what Jeremy was talking about earlier. Like this whole idea, because we get to a certain age, we think we're just going to retire. Well, you can retire from your job, but retiring from the kingdom is not an option. See, these young folks, they need old people like us to come alongside them and love them and woo them and mentor them and share the hope that we have. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He's taken away your guilt. He's met you at your point of need. So there's no reason for Satan to keep you in a cage any longer. Satan lies to you to keep you in a cage that has no door on it. Friends, what I want to say is, if the leaves fall off those trees and die, I'm cool. But if those leaves are people, and they perish because we are too lazy, too self-focused, or too seized by our own unworthiness, then that's the problem. I beg you to step forward just as Isaiah did and say, here I am, Lord. Not perfect, but I've been clean, made clean by you. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I tell you, if it's only up to Brian and to Tim and Barbara. There's only a few of those people in Roanoke that are lost that will ever come to Christ. 
the cool thing is that God wants to use you. Amazing. Amazing. God wants to use you. You don't need a collar. You don't need seminary. He wants to use you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so.